Go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle with copies of the Bible if you need one to help you follow along. I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, sorry I didn't come up earlier in the service, but uh, from the bottom of my heart, from, from my family to your family, I want to wish you a very happy Groundhog Day. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, today, uh, the second day of the second month of 2020, today is actually a numerical palindrome. Uh, so a palindrome is, is normally a word, it's a, you know, a word that's spelt the same way backwards, like race car. I just blew some of your minds right now, I know. But uh, 2020 0202 or 02020, forward or backwards, is the same thing. We haven't had a numerical palindrome in a, in a date for 909 years, okay? So um, all in favor of hearing something actually relevant uh, this morning, okay? So <laughs> we got those two things out of the way. But what could be more relevant than Jesus' prayer for his disciples that they would be in the word, in the world, but not of the world. This is something that we need to hear as our world is continually changing, as we are finding new ways of being lured and tempted into the world every day, and as the pressure to conform to the ways of our world and to try to blend in rather than stand out, Jesus' desire for his disciples is that they, he recognizes that we are in the world, but he doesn't want us to be of the world. In John chapter 17, we started studying Jesus' high priestly prayer. It began in verses 1 to 5, where Jesus is really praying for himself. And now he's going to be praying for his disciples. And this whole idea of being in the world and of the world is really summed up beautifully by Pastor Steve Lawson. He says, We are to be in the world, not of the world. We are to have our boat in the water, but no water in the boat. I have many summer mem memories up on Mary Lake at Camp Minioe where there, there was water in the boat. And that's a big problem. And this paddler right now, he's got a problem. Uh, there's a lot of water in the boat. The idea is we've got to be in the water but not have water in the boat. And so Jesus, he, he begins by praying for himself in verses 1 to a 5, and now we're going to see him sort of expand out. He's going to be praying for his disciples, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll be looking at how he play, prays for all believers who will respond to his message. Now, there's a fair bit of overlap between what he prays for his disciples and what he plays, prays for uh, us as believers who receive the disciples' message. And so what Jesus prays for his disciples, we can really apply to our own lives. And so what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see Jesus' prayer requests. I mentioned earlier in the service, you know, fill out a connection card. Let us know how we can pray for you. We put a button on our newsletter saying, click here. Let us know how we can pray for you. We, we go in our small group and we go around the circle and say, what are your prayer requests? How can we pray for you? But have we ever stopped to think, what's Jesus' prayer request? What's on his a prayer list, and we're going to see today three things that are really on Jesus' heart that reveal what he is longing to see happen among us. And so look at John chapter 17 with me. I'm going to read verse 6 down to verse 19. In the middle of his prayer, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. 
and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stop in this moment and thank you that you are a God who has spoken. You not only speak to us through your creation, which so evidently speaks of your design, but Lord, you have also spoken through your Son. You've also spoken through your Word. And God, you know that throughout this week, God, I have labored and read and studied and written and rewritten. But Lord, I pray that what's about to happen right now would not be the result of the work of study, but that it would be the result of the work of the Spirit. And so Lord, I pray that what is about to be conveyed right now would not merely be received as, as information, but that it would be received as transformation. And that it would not merely be a, a a lecture about an ancient document, that it would not merely be religious instruction, but that it would be the very voice of God uh, speaking to the people of God through the word of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before Jesus prays specifically for his disciples, he he describes his relationship with them. In verses 6 through 10, before we get into the prayer request, it's important for us to, to know what Jesus knows about the, the, the 11 people that he's praying for right now. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. The, the 11 disciples, the apostles, were given to Jesus by the Father. He, he goes on in verse 7. He says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, including them as disciples. Verse 8, I have given them the words you gave me, 
and they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus says in, in verse 6, he, he describes them as the people that God had given to him, that the Father had given to him. He says, yours they were and that you gave. And so Jesus is making quite clear here that the whole reason why these disciples are there are not because they chose to come and follow Jesus, but that Jesus was given these 11 disciples by the Father. God made the sovereign choice to give them to Jesus. So we see the sovereignty of God, but also at the same time, take a look at how Jesus describes his his disciples. In verse 6, it says that they have kept your word. Verse 8 says that they have received. Verse 8 also says that they have believed. And so we do have a description of God giving the disciples, but also we have what the disciples did. They kept They believed and they received. And so we have human responsibility partnered with divine sovereignty. God made the choice. He's the one that gave. They've always belonged to him. And yet the disciples made the choice. They chose to believe. They chose to receive. And they chose to keep. And we see all throughout the Bible this concept of God's sovereignty in election and human responsibility in the decisions and the choices that they make. Some of you might be wondering, well, how can you reconcile those two things? Don't we have to choose between us choosing God or God choosing us? How can it both be true? How do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? Well, Charles Spurgeon was asked the same question. How do you reconcile these two things? And he said, you don't have to reconcile friends. That God's sovereign choice and our responsibility, these two things work together. We don't see that any clearer than we did in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. In John chapter 5 verse 40, Jesus says to them, he says, You refuse to come to me that you may have life. Human responsibility. This is your decision. You are refusing to come to me. But then in the next chapter, also talking about coming to him, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You think Jesus has a clear understanding of how divine sovereignty and human responsibility fit together? I think he does. And he had no problem, one chapter apart, emphasizing human responsibility at one moment and in the next moment emphasizing divine sovereignty. And so we have to tread humbly when we come to a prayer like this, when we come to Jesus describing what it means to be his follower, that we have a responsibility to keep and to receive and to believe but ultimately recognizing that it's God the one who gives. Look at verse 9 with me. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. You see, this is our identity. We belong to God. He says, they are yours. We are his. Yes, we are called upon to believe and to receive and to keep, but we belong to God. And then look at verse 10. He says, all are mine. All mine are yours and yours are mine. He says, and I am glorified in them. Jesus' main prayer in verses 1 to 5 is that he would be glorified. And he, he talked about him giving salvation and fulfilling his mission and returning to his position where he always existed in eternity in glory. And 
But Jesus here recognizes that the glorification of the Son is played out every day in the life of his disciples. See it right there in verse 10? We have the privilege of, of bringing glory to Jesus. He says, I am glorified in them. And he says in verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. We're in the world. He says, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. He says, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. This is Jesus' first request, that, that God would keep his disciples. Jesus prays for our protection. If you're taking notes today, make sure you jot that down, that Jesus prays for our protection. Now, Keep is kind of a tricky word in English. I don't want you to think in terms of a housekeeper. I want you to think in terms of a goalkeeper. Okay? When, when Jesus prays to the Father, keep them, he's not saying, God, be like a housekeeper. A housekeeper is just there to sort of like sweep up and tidy and cook and clean. But like if an intruder were to come, it's not really the responsibility of the housekeeper to take him out. So it's not like a, not keeping like housekeeping. It's keeping like a goalkeeper. Like protecting the net. Making sure that nothing gets protection. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, keep them. And notice how he wants to, he, he's, notice how he wants the Father to keep them. He says, keep them in your name. Guard them in such a way that they stay close to your name. Keep them, guard them so that they stay in your name. It's in the name of God that we can be protected. It's in the name of God where we can be secure. It's in the name of God where we can be safe. In Psalm 20, verse 1, it says, May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In the name of God, we have protection. Jesus prays, keep them in your name. Going back to verse 6, look at what Jesus says. I have manifested your name. It was Jesus who taught the disciples. It's Jesus who teaches us about who God is, who tells us, who manifests, who reveals the name of God. Now, in a Hebrew worldview, the, the, the person's name is far much more than just whatever name you happen to have, whatever your parents choose to give you at birth. Your name is your reputation. Your name is your character. Your name is the essence of who you are. And Jesus says in verse 6, I manifested the Father's name. And Jesus did this in such a creative way because when God first manifested his name personally to Moses at the burning bush, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses said, well, I don't know your name. If I'm supposed to lead these people, i got to tell them who sent me. And God said, tell them I am sent you. God says, you want to know my name? My name is I am. Normally, like when I say my name, I say, oh, what's your name? I say, I am Ted. Right? I am, and then you put a name after it. But God just says, I am. You can almost picture Moses being like, you are. But God being like, no, no, that's my name. My name is I am. I'm the definition of existence. I don't need anything else to define me. I am. 
And then Jesus, all throughout the Gospel of John, we've been seeing him make these different statements about himself, and they've all started with what? With, I am. I am the bread of life. I I satisfy that deepest hunger inside each and every one of us. I am the light of the world. I'm the one who pierces through all the confusion, the corruption, and the darkness of this world. I'm the resurrection and the life. We're all dead, but I've come to bring life. You see, Jesus manifested the name of God. He showed who God is. I am the good shepherd. So when Jesus says, keep them in your name, protect them, help them to never wander away and question who you truly are, Father. May they know that they can't wander and try to find satisfaction for their hunger somewhere else. May they know that if they do wander, they're like a sheep wandering away from their shepherd. Make them know that if they do wander from your name, that they're wandering from the light and going into the darkness. So Jesus says, no, no, keep them. Protect them from ever thinking anything that, but that you are a good and loving God. That you are the light. That you satisfy our every hunger and desire. And that you are a good shepherd. So Jesus asked the Father to keep them in your name. Then he says, what you have given me. But notice the result that they may be one even as we are one. If God is going to keep us, he's going to keep us together. That God's design in protecting his people, the way that he protects his people is also the result of how he protects his people. It's that we would be one. You see, Satan loves the the divide and conquer approach. He wants to get into a church and divide it. He wants to get into a marriage and divide it. He wants to get into friendships and divide it. But God wants to keep us one. He protects us so that we would be one. And it's in our oneness that is, that is our means of protection. You see, the answer is for us to rally around the name of God. We're not to be one just because we all find a way to get along. No, we are one when we focus on the name, when we focus on who God is. Keep them in your name. You see, there's a link between God's protection for us and our connection with God's people. It says, keep them in your name that they may be one. You can't experience God's protection unless you are willing to live in connection with his children. Wander away from fellowship in a Christian church. Wander away from accountability in Christian friendship. Wander away from community in small group or serving If you're wandering away from those things, then you are wandering into the path of danger. You're wandering outside of the boundaries of God's good and loving protection for you. I mean, I think we've all seen enough Discovery Channel to know that the water buffalo that decides to wander away from the herd, it's not going to end well for them, is it? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says that Satan is roaring around like a prowling lion seeking for someone to devour. Not some group, 
someone. Not some people, one person. He's looking for one out on their own. He's looking for someone who's distracted from the name of God and the people of God. He's looking for the person that's proud and arrogant and thinks that they can live the Christian life on their own apart from community. He's looking for that person who feels ashamed of what they've done and afraid to open up to someone else. He's looking for that one. Don't be that one. Be part of the one that God wants all of us to be a part of. The church is God's provision of his protection. That we would stay together. That we would be united under his name. Protected in his name. Jesus says in verse 12, when I was with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus protected them. And he protected them in the name of God, in God's character, by revealing who God is. He says, which you have given me. He says, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus here is referring to Judas, who's going to show up in the next chapter but Jesus doesn't want the disciples to be caught off guard. And Jesus here, even in this prayer, is, is mindful of the fact that Judas's betrayal was, was already a predicted, that it was written about in the Psalms. Jesus makes reference to Judas as the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Again, the sovereignty of God over all of that. Verse 13, he says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus wants us to be joyful. He, he wants the Father to protect his disciples. He wants them to make them one, and then the end result ultimately is joy. Joy is where we're all headed. The parable of the talents, the Master says, Enter into the joy of your master. That's where we're all going. Joy is the end game, that we would find joy in Jesus. C.S. Lewis says that it is a Christian duty that everyone be as happy as he can. Notice how Jesus says here that they would be filled with my joy. Joy is not just some abstract concept of happiness. Jesus says it's his joy. Jesus was the most joyful human being who ever lived. We did sing about the fact that he was a man of sorrows, and indeed he was. But he's also the one filled with joy, an overflowing joy that is to flow into the lives of his followers and his disciples. And notice again how it's supposed to happen in community. He doesn't say that my joy may be fulfilled each as an individual. It's that as we come together and as we experience the oneness of Christian community, it says joy in themselves. So Jesus prays. His first prayer request is for our uh, protection. Secondly, here's his second prayer request, our sanctification. Our sanctification. Some of you are like, sanctify what? Uh, we'll get to that, okay? I know it's sort of a big word. But it's a word that Jesus uses right here in uh, the text. In verse 14 he says, I have given them your word 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is coming back to this idea of the world hating his disciples. He, he already mentioned that in John chapter 15, verse 18. He says, hey, listen, if the world hates you, just remember, they hated me first. They put me on a cross. So don't, don't expect them to roll out the red carpet for you. He says, and the reason why they're going to hate you is because of my word. It's the word that is going to be the, the, what's going to push the world over the edge in terms of hating the disciples of, of Jesus. More about the world and the word in a little bit. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Why, why wouldn't he just do that? Why couldn't we all just be with him right now? Why didn't he just take the disciples with him when he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven? Why is it that Jesus prays, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world? Why is it that it's in the world, not of the world? Couldn't it be out of the world, not of the world? Couldn't Jesus start his own little separate country full of Christians or something like that where everyone can live the same way and believe the same things and create, maybe build a little bubble over top of it or something like that? Why is it in the world and, and not of the world? Why can't it be out of the world and not of the world? But Jesus' specific prayer request is don't take them out. We're called to be in I do not ask that you take them out of the world, verse 15, but that you keep them from the evil one. Again, this idea of protection. Keep them from the evil one. Keep them from giving in to the pressure that they're going to feel as the hatred of the world is ramped up. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, in the world, not of the world. Here's the kicker, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He says sanctify. Jesus prays for our sanctification. Sanctification is really the, the verbal form of the word holiness. It's the, it's the process of becoming holy. And really the essence of holy is, is the word is, is devotion or being set apart. So he's praying that his disciples would be holy. But it's, it, it's a process that they would be set apart and become holy. Set apart from the world. In the world, but not of the world because they are sanctified. Because they are set apart. They're devoted to a different purpose. This is why Jesus can say that we're not of the world. We're not of the world because we're not living for the same purpose. We're not of the world because we don't have the same affiliation. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. We're not of the world because fundamentally, spiritually speaking, we have a different nature than those living in the world. John chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. We have been born again. We're regenerated. There is something different about us on the inside that plays out on the inside. We are no longer of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We have a new nature. And we live by a different standard. Our standard is the word of God. Look at what Jesus says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
It's important for us to make note of Jesus' word choice here. He doesn't use an adjective. He uses a noun. This is really important. If he were just using an adjective, he would have said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. Like an adjective. Your word is true. Yeah, it's trustworthy. We believe it. It's true like other things are true. But no, no, that's not what he says. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Not an adjective, but a noun. Your word is truth. There's a huge difference in that. Truth by its definition is that which corresponds to reality. So 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's, that's true. That's reality. 2 plus 2 equals 3. That, sorry. 5 is way off. 6, you're, just, you're getting colder and colder. Don't even talk to me about 7. 2 plus 2 equals 4. This is reality. Jesus says that the Word is reality. You want to know the meaning of life, it's in the Word. You want to know what it means to be a human being, it's in the Word. You want to know the difference between right and wrong, it's in the Word. This, is re- this Word is truth. And Jesus says that as we allow the Word of God to speak into our lives, we will be sanctified and set apart from the world. This is how Jesus' prayer gets answered. If we are to be in the world, but not of the world, the only way that's possible is for us to be sanctified by the word of truth. And so my question to you is, are you allowing the word of God to speak into your life so that you would be set apart? Or is there water in your boat? Are you making decisions in line with what the Word of God says? Are you living a life that is separate, that is distinct? It's a relatively large sporting event happening later this afternoon. You might have heard of it. It's called the Super Bowl. I want to speak especially to men because the channel changer is a big deal for men in the house. But this applies to uh, single moms or anyone who may be watching, listen, you, you hold a lot of power with that channel changer, don't you? And we need to be proactive this afternoon. Leaders in our homes, whoever is the spiritual leader in the home, needs to be proactive. You don't have to hold the channel changer yourself. You can ask for the channel to be changed. But there are going to be certain commercials that are going to come on. There are going to be certain wardrobe choices that are going to be used at halftime that are just simply inappropriate. And not right for Christians to be exposed to. And so again, we don't throw out the whole Super Bowl, but there are times where it's like, turn that off. Where we need to choose to allow the truth of God's word to dictate how we live our lives. We don't fit in with the world. There's stadiums full of the people. There's millions of people watching, taking it all in. We don't take it in. We don't let water into the boat. In the way that we handle social media, in the way that we handle how we ourselves dress, in the way that we talk, the language that we use, in our truth-telling, in all of these different things, we are to live distinctly different. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are called to a higher standard. We are to be sanctified in the truth. His word is truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the truth. Then he talks about the Holy Spirit that was coming. He says, he's the spirit of truth in John 16, verse 13. 
Now he says the word is true. So how, how are we sanctified? We trust in Jesus who is the truth. We're filled with the spirit who is the spirit of truth. And we expose ourselves to the word of God who is the word of truth. We trust in his saving work. We rely in the transforming power of the spirit. And we study and apply and live by God's word. This is an important time for us. Our small groups are about to start this 100-day journey through God's Word, reading the essential 100 passages of God's Word. It starts tomorrow, doesn't it, small group members? And our small group leaders have all been getting ready for this important moment. This is crucial for us. If we are going to be in the world but not of the world, we need the Word of God. And so our whole small group structure is changing so that we're holding one another more accountable to be in the Word of God. If you need that, then you need to get into a small group. Stop delaying. So that we would be able to sharpen one another and encourage one another so that we would be in but not of. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word not is true. Your Word is truth. So Jesus prays for our protection. He prays for our sanctification. And then lastly, he prays for our mission. He prays for our mission. Now this is not an explicit request on Jesus' behalf, but it's more of an aside comment, but it's absolutely important for us to understand. The reason why he wants us to be protected, the reason why he wants us to be sanctified is so that this next thing could happen. That lingering question, right? Some of you are like, can you come back to that whole bubble idea? Because that sounds kind of attractive. The reason why it's in and not of and not out and not of is because Jesus has, here for, has us here for a reason. That the answer is not just for us to retreat, but for us to engage in our world. Yes, there are temptations out there that we need to be aware of. Yes, there are values out there that we need to have nothing to do with. But yet, we are called to go into the world on mission. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This prayer is called the high priestly prayer. Consecrate, sanctify, these are priest kind of terms. In fact, consecrate and sanctify, as they're used there in verse 19, it's the same word. And sometimes we get a little bit tripped up because in, in, the, in the Christian world, when we talk about sanctification, we normally talk about this idea of this process of becoming holy. But remember, sanctification just means to be set apart. It means to be devoted. And so what Jesus is saying is, is Jesus didn't need any didn't need to make any progress in becoming holy. He already was holy. But he set himself apart. He was devoted to go to the cross. As the high priest, he's also the sacrifice who laid down his life, suffered and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we, he was sent to save us so that we then in turn could be sent. So if we follow what Jesus is saying in in verse 18, the Father sends the Son, but now the Son sends the disciples. That we are called and sent out. Why is it that Jesus didn't just build a bubble? Why is it that Jesus didn't just take his disciples up to heaven with him as he's ascending up to heaven? Why did he just be like, come on, you too? We wouldn't be here if there was a bubble. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for the fact that Jesus sent the disciples. 
And loved ones, we are sent in the same way. So here's the question. Who will be here next week? Because we finally understand that we've been sent the way Jesus was sent. Who will be sitting in this chair, worshiping Jesus, declaring that he is worthy, having just understood that concept for six days or three days or three minutes because you just told them about him? Because we have all been sent in, not of, sanctified in the truth, but not to remain silent, not to be isolated, but to be engaged. Loved ones, some of us really need to be challenged because the problem is we got water in the boat. We're living worldly lives. We're living according to the world's values. We're laughing at the kinds of things the world laughs at. We're, we're rejoicing in the kinds of things the world rejoices in. And we've got to get the water out of the boat. But loved ones, some of us have no water in the boat. But the truth is our boat is nowhere near the water. And we have gotten into this comfortable rhythm of church attendance and small group and Bible study and prayer group and men's ministry or women's ministry, probably not both for the same person, but anyway, we, we're, we're, we're busy building a bubble where Jesus wants us to be building the kingdom, where we are sent out on mission. And loved ones, we all need to grow in this area. We all need to stop and notice people. If we're going to be sent like Jesus was sent, we got to stop and notice people. Everyone giving their big offerings at the temple and that sort of thing. And a little widow was dropping a couple of small coins in in a real quiet, and Jesus notices her. And people are trying to pay their taxes and they're all grumpy. And Jesus notices Levi sitting at the tax booth. Jesus stopped and he recognized people. He noticed people. We need to notice people. We need to proactively love and care for people. To look them in the eyes and to not be so hurried like I so often am. To get on to the next thing. But to look people in the eye. To show them that we care. To just be there for no other reason than just being there. And making ourselves available. Getting our boat out there into the water. This isn't in my notes, but follow the analogy. We're in the boat, out in the water, and what are we there to do? To rescue drowning people who are in desperate need. We've got to get out there. This is what we are called to do. We have been sent. We're not of the world, but we are in the world. Some of us, we got to get water out of the boat. We're so much like the world that you can't even really tell where the boat stops and the water does. But for others of us, we've got to be more intentional in getting our boat out there in the water. Getting the message of who Jesus is out there. Let's pray that the Spirit would help us to do that. Jesus Christ, you are indeed the good shepherd and you have revealed that to us in the way that you taught, in the miracles that you performed, and also in the way that you prayed for us, your disciples. And I pray, Lord God, that you would 
lead us into greater communion and relationship with you and fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that we would indeed be sanctified. That we would indeed be set apart. But set apart for a purpose, Lord. That we would go into this world, be different from this world, and be used, God, by your Spirit to reach people with the message of who you are. Lord, you are so great and so awesome and so magnificent, Lord. Help us to represent you well. Help us to bring the light into the darkness, Lord. Help us to offer the bread of life to those who are spiritually starving. God, help us to point lost sheep to the shepherd. Use us, we pray, God. Protect us, sanctify us, send us, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.